0: Hello and welcome to The More The Merrier with Donna G. The interview portion of today's show will focus on Michael Hidatoshi Mori, who is the general director and artistic director of Tapestry Opera. He is also the director of Rocking Horse Winner, the opera based on the D. H. Lawrence short story. It is being presented with Crows Theater. So stay tuned to hear about that one hour opera and uh, I saw it, it's incredible and uh, my chat with Michael actually happened before I saw it and now having seen it, I can tell you please, please get a ticket to this show. Later on in the show will be a mix of uh, some Negro Spirituals um, by Denise Williams and also the Nathaniel Dett chorale and I'll also uh mix it up with maybe some jazz for you so don't go anywhere hope you enjoy this show but let's kick it up with some funky tunes and did I just say funky tunes yes i am that old people uh let's uh, funk it up with some tunes
1: my surprise
0: promised you some funky tunes. Hope you enjoyed hearing from Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, what have you done for me lately? And then Jojo and the Fugitives with Chips Chicken Banana Splits. And coming up now is my interview with Michael Hidatoshi Mori about rocking horse winner. And a reminder that this interview was done um, just after opening night. Um, So you will hear references to that. And we're going to get the interview started with uh, the overture to Rocking Horse winner. And then we'll segue right into my interview with Michael. You're listening to The More The Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, The More the Merrier with Donna G. My guest is Michael Hidetoshi Mori, and he is the director of a play that's on now called Rocking Horse Winner. It's being presented by Tapestry Opera in association with Crows Theatre. And Michael is also the general director and artistic director of Tapestry Opera. And uh, we're going to talk about this this show, this performance, this operatic piece, um, originally written, the short story is written by D.H. Lawrence, but Michael is visiting The More The Merrier and CIUT for the first time, so I want to welcome him. Michael, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Can you introduce Tapestry Opera to my listeners?
2: Absolutely. Um, Tapestry Opera is a Toronto-based company. It's been around for about... 40-some-odd years, um, we're kind of like the Pixar of opera in that we um, only make original dynamic um, shows, uh, sometimes smaller than what you might consider opera to be. Some people think operas are all three hours long, but um, we try to make things that are always different and adapting to the time we're in and drawing on the music and the stories that um, we can draw on in Toronto.
0: Okay. How did you get started in this business? Did you have a musical background?
2: I did. I was... um, I was actually a child performer in New York City Uh, I started as a singer and then as a singer I got brought in to do child roles in um, opera and musical theater Um, and one thing led to another I ended up learning a couple instruments and playing in a jazz band and conducting for a little while and then um, after a couple of performance degrees um, I eventually came to directing.
0: And what brought you to Canada.
2: My family. My, my mom was born in Vancouver and my family has been in Canada for about six or seven generations.
0: Okay. And uh, I, find, I always find it wonderful when uh, family are supportive of those in the arts. So you, you, have, an, you have an edge over many, some, many of my friends whose parents wanted them to get, you know, practical day jobs.
2: Well, I, I have to say half of my family was incredibly supportive. I remember working a job shortly after high school when I was studying opera in university and I told someone what I'd studied and they said, oh, you're, one of your parents must be a teacher. And I said, how did you know? He's like, no one else would encourage their kids to study opera. <laughs> um, but no, I was blessed that, in that my, my mother really wanted, uh, she was the first in her family to have university education. And it was interesting that what she drew out of that is that her, the greatest privilege she could give to her children was the opportunity to be artists. To be musicians,
0: and what did she study?
2: She she studied English and uh, special education, and ended up uh, teaching um, with a specialization on special education.
0: I find that fascinating. That she she's the first in your family to to get a post secondary degree, and she encouraged you to go into the arts. Um, that is really special. It shouldn't be, um, but it is because the arts are a difficult path, as you know, financially. And so for her to say, go, um, we're going to spend all this money on you. Go and do what you love. Um, I'm really grateful to your mom. Uh, as, I'm, for- as am I.
2: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, how did you get involved with rocking horse winner because obviously you can't direct everything that comes through tapestry
2: no um yeah this is actually my 10th anniversary um as artistic director of the company and this was the first show I directed for tapestry in 2016 um and it was I I knew the creators um it felt like something that I I could see myself um telling the story of and this was actually through a collaboration with Scottish opera. Um, so it was originally done when Gareth Williams was in residency at Scottish opera and Anna Chatterton was in residency with tapestry opera. Anna Chatterton's the librettist based in Ontario. And that, you know, there's something magical about it. Some people sort of say, what's the perfect story for an opera? And you might say, well, this is a perfect story for a documentary. This could be a great book. Um, things that have like this these layers of storytelling um where you read a story but then there's another layer and I think D.H. Lawrence does an incredible job of that for me those are those are places where opera can really sing where um the music can tell a complementary story there there's a possibility for magic um for stylization um that that you can you know infuse with the beauty of what the human voice can do so yeah I, I kind of fell in love with it I heard I heard some of the melodies too, and I gotta say, I as much as I appreciate a, all kinds of different contemporary music, um, Gareth Williams writes a beautiful melody, um, and he can do it in a way that still feels fresh. So I, I fell in love with the music and thought this would be an amazing thing to direct if I had the opportunity.
0: Okay, so let's get into the plot. Tell uh, my listeners what the Rocking Horse Winner is about.
2: Well, uh, it's it's a mother and her son, and I guess a different kind of unrequited love. The mother's obsessed with the fact that they were wealthy and they are not as wealthy anymore. Um, and her husband is not around. The boy is obsessed with finding his mother's love, but he's, uh, he's sort of an enigma because he's a, he's a grown man in the, in our opera, but he still rides a rocking horse every day and he still lives at home with his mother. And so grouped into all of what the the mother claims to be her um misfortunes is the misfortune of her son which she doesn't exactly say ever but we can feel that they don't ever connect and that's really the only thing that the son wants and so the the magical piece here is that this rocking horse um, that is in his room that he rides every day it whispers to him names and one day he figures out that they're actually the names of the winners of the next races and so he kind of puts two and two together and with the help of his uncle ends up going to the racetrack and betting money on these horses um, and then secretly sending it to his mother because he thinks that money will make her happy because if if everything that she's suffering through is because of wealth having more money must make her happy and if she's happy then she'll love him. Um, and so there's a there's a bit of a Faustian bargain. Every time he rides the horse, it costs something, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, without giving away the rest of the story, it lives in the kind of magical, realistic world where um, there are things that are so psychologically understandable and relatable, and then there's things that you can't explain.
0: Okay. So the the boy, Paul, the young man, Paul, um, is played by Asitha Tenekun. Why did you choose to cast him?
2: He has such a sweet voice and demeanor and he's honestly one of canada's most tremendous actors i think opera might be the most stereotyped art form in the world you say opera people immediately will think italian or some foreign language thing maybe that you see in a bbc commercial um or british airways commercial and um the truth is that it's like dance or theater or painting it's always adapting and Dynamic artists like Asata Tenekun, who are making it fresh and real and exciting, are just an incredible generation of new talent um, that I, you know, that really you can't walk away without your heart bursting a little bit. And that's something about the magic of opera when it's done as theater that is so, so, it can make us vulnerable again when, you know, coming, it can wake us up out of the everyday.
0: And that's what you saw in him. To play Absolutely. To play Paul. Now, uh, Lucia Cesarone plays his mother, um, Ava. Uh, tell me about casting her. And who did you see first, Lucia or Asata?
2: I've known uh, Asata, I've known for a, a longer time. Um, Lucia, I've heard in many other productions. Uh, and it felt like in the way that um, Asata is really earnest and sweet, and that, that plays into the earnestness of of this sort of man child um Paul. Lucia is a glamorous opera star. And so in the character of Ava, when when she's essentially fallen from from glory, it's it was a perfect to to sort of see someone who could easily walk into a society scene. Um, but in this in this story, they're just reflecting on loot having lost that and desperately trying to find it come you know find it back and so there's something beautiful about how like the lushness of Lucia's voice and the glamour that she has as a as a true opera star in the world infuse the character with that sense of sort of betrayal that that had been lost so I I, it's been very very fun working with them on that dynamic too
0: so this was originally mounted in in 2016 how is this version um different
2: I hate to say it's it's better, but it's different. like I I feel like everyone since then has grown. We have much of the cast, three out of four of the principals have returned, um, and a number of the musicians as well. And I used to tour as a musician when I was younger. You know, when you've toured something, when you've done it 20 times, um, the quality of the interpretation and the nuance and the performance just gets so much tighter and more interesting. And I can say that in the portrayals, like especially the acting that's happening on stage, um, it's thrilling and I don't know that people hear the word opera and think thrilling acting or, you know, theatrical portrayals, but that is uh, one of the biggest changes is everything has had a, an opportunity to mature. And, um, and I think we found some more ideas too. There's, there's a, uh, again, if you're into kind of demonology, mammon is the, the demon of greed. Um, but the original word mammon came from the Greek um, and the Hebrew word for money. And, you know, this piece is all about greed and the there's a character called the house and the house in, in the book, the house whispers to Paul. And the beautiful thing about Gareth and Anna's uh, show is that they wrote a chorus um, to become the house. And so they start whispering in the walls, but they're actual, you know, performers. And then as money gets made at the races and, and gets spent on the house, they corporealize into servants and um, merchants and everyone connected to spending money. And it's a very creepy and beautiful and weird thing. And I think we've we've gotten a little bit weirder with that this time.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, is the staging the same or has that
2: changed? It's similar. I mean, it, it, you don't want to hurt, hurt a great thing. This, the, the production in 2016 won. Um, five Door Awards. And, uh, and so there was a lot of good in the production and in the staging, but it's, you know, it's not exactly the same. It's definitely adapted to the performers that are doing it. And, and certainly, as I said, like the, the monstrosity of the house has a much different character than it did back then.
0: Was that intimidating for you? Um, bringing back this play that has won so many uh, Dora Awards?
2: um it was a joy it was a joy oh (laughs) okay you know um because uh when do we get to hear contemporary Canadian works more than once very seldom um and so that
0: is so true I didn't realize that you're right.
2: right like how name the Canadian plays you've seen twice or seen come twice there's a few there's a few and there's some great ones like we're blessed to have some really talented playwrights, but I I think we're just starting to build our canon, the Canadian body of work that has its own particular style, um, and so to be able to do this, which not that many people saw in 2016, even though it was critically acclaimed and and won a bunch of awards, um, I think part of this is giving people a chance to appreciate the great performers and creators that we have, and I, we had some um, university students in the other day, and they said they'd never been to an opera, and I was and and. A few of them came up afterwards and like, I had no idea that it was going to be like this. Um, this was really, really exciting and I want to come and see more. And it's when you find great works like this and this, these could be you know, pieces of that conversation to, I think welcome people into the wonderful world of the arts, then we're in a good place. Like we don't want to always be creating new things and not celebrate the things that are great.
0: I think that's amazing feedback from the younger people to say that about opera. I think it's very encouraging um, for them to have said that, especially since it's their first and they were impressed. Um, So kudos to Tapestry for, uh, for doing that. And I think another thing that people will appreciate um, as you said in the beginning, people think opera and they think, you know, Italian or, um, you know, I happen to love Wagner, but, you know, I don't have a few days <laughs> to, for the, the ring cycle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to start by introducing people that way, but um, the rocking horse winner is only an hour. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a great um, way to introduce people. Uh, what are some of the challenges, though, of doing a 60 minute um, opera.
2: I mean, it's a. I I love it. I love 60 minutes, you know, because honestly, what do I want to do when I go and see a provocative piece of art? I want to sit down with a drink and talk to somebody about it afterwards. And if you have a hour long opera, you can actually leave <laughs> after an hour, go for a drink and be like, I loved it. I hated it. This person was incredible. Um, or I never thought this or that, like 60 minutes to me is, amazing it it gives us more opportunities than it takes away and because this is so jam-packed with drama there's no shortage of things to consider um you know like opera was created when there was no electricity right so you it was the only thing it was both a social um happening and an opportunity to eat like like in the la scala there um were originally kitchens in all of the boxes in italy um so that you could have your meal, entertain people, open the curtains when you wanted to hear an Aria close them when it was boring. Um, so (laughs) there's, there's no rationale currently for there to have to be three hour or five hour operas. Um, and I feel like our generation has been conditioned to consume in the, in the span of an hour because of television and now because of like series on, on, um, streaming platforms. So I love it. It's an hour. And if you want more, great, come to a different show.
0: (laughs) So, Michael, I admittedly have some people in my family who would pay a couple of hundred dollars to go see a basketball game, um, $400 to see uh, Taylor Swift or Beyonce or even more, um, but, you know, are reluctant to step into uh, something like opera, um so what would you say to those people who you know are reluctant how would you get them into into your theater into into your world
2: I mean I what I love I think I think all of those things are great by the way I think basketball and Taylor Swift and opera are all great and deserving these are live experiences in crowds experiencing something together and they're all different and the thing that I love about theater i mean which is it's crazy in toronto you can get for 25 35 bucks you can get a ticket to some of the best performers in this country and and at all kinds of different theaters across the city so i love that you know there can be something that happens that stays with you for the rest of your life you might hate the show you might love the show but you know honestly it's now like almost the same price for a glass of wine as it is to buy a ticket to a great (laughs) piece of theater and Good,
0: good point good point yeah. And you know
2: what's going to stick with you longer? Why not get a glass of wine at the bar at the theater, see something wild, um, but have that opportunity to encounter something great that sort of opens up um our heart or opens up your mind in some kind of way. I think we have some of the most interesting artists in the world in in particular in this city, and the world is starting to recognize them in lots of different ways. And I it's it's like like my dream that just 1% more of the population comes to the arts um in Canada because it's ready and it's and I think it's responding to who we are in really dynamic and interesting ways. And there's a there's a like there's an issue with my only issue with basketball on Taylor Swift is that these aren't necessarily Toronto things. They are now because of mass media essentially. But and
0: the and the Raptors.
2: Yeah the sure but I mean the NBA is a is a thing that is a mass media promoted entity. Whereas mm-hmm if you think about like the the arts in in Toronto and how they're telling our story like which is about the people who have come up grown up in Canada Toronto is like a city of people who come from all over Canada coming here to become professionals and work and you know or to become artists and tell stories and i i think um it's almost like discovering a whole new world um that's just underneath your fingertips and so that's that's what i like i think let yourself be convinced by your a beautiful sister or cousin or, um, friend or neighbor to or, go auntie. To <laughs> or auntie or auntie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's me. Go to something.
2: And, and don't just try it once, try it 10 times. And I promise you by the 10th time, you'll have figured out what you like more.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, what are some, uh, works that have stayed with you over the years?
2: Yeah. I, I feel like that's the cool thing is it's almost like the greatest moments in your life. A, a great show can do those things. I remember um, in opera seeing Lucia di Lammermoor in Vancouver at the Vancouver Opera, and the Lucia who sang was so incredible. I like I you could forget everything else that was happening that day, that week, and just in that moment, you're like, I want to be a better person. Even though it's she's singing about going crazy, um, there was the Electric Theatre Company, and this is early days with them in Vancouver as well. I went to school in Vancouver, so um, they did Studies in Motion um, and. And they have such a nuanced way of incorporating live action film with um, live performance staging. That blew my mind. Um, Here in Toronto, and I know this was a co-production, but the Height by Crystal Pite and um, Kid Pivot, I think that was also Electric Theater Company, uh, totally blew my mind, like with some of the most powerful storytelling through um, dance theater. Uh, And I would say this show rocking Horse winner when, you know, and, and I feel last night was opening night and I was pulled in and I know the show I've directed it. It And it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to hand it off to the performers and then see them continue to, you know, blossom and sparkle and find, um, nuances in the character. And it's a, it is a little gem of a piece that, um, kind of is, is haunting in a way. And I, I, I couldn't forget it. I'm trying to think if there's one more, Oh gosh. Um, Who's that fantastic Canadian puppeteer theater?
0: I, I know who you're talking about, but I'm also blanking on it. Um, but see, that's what happens when you um when you see something that hits you. It stays with you.
2: Exactly.
0: And um one of the things that um that stayed with me is uh Suzanne Tafo, her voice. Um you did out of yeah. the sea, and I discovered Suzanne Tafo and you know now I'm, you know I'm following her on Instagram, and I wouldn't have known about her except for for Tapestry, and and yeah, that production. She's incredible.
2: She's incredible. So, yeah.
0: um, so that's where it started for me with with Tapestry Opera, and um, now I'm going to see the the Rocking Horse winner, and who I'll see other things, and that will build my own uh personal uh repertoire of things that I look forward to seeing again. <laughs> so,
1: Well, that's great. So,
0: you know, hopefully in, you know, like maybe five years from now, people are going, um, let's go see the Rocking Horse winner. Did you miss it last? Let's go see it again. Yeah, let's go see it or let's go see it again. Or, you know, oh, did you miss out of the sea? It's like, let's go see it again. It's, yeah, like, it's <laughs> in
2: Montreal now. It's in it's Vancouver like... <laughs> now. It's in Washington yeah. now. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that um, is fantastic. and. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. I know this is a not as long as a conversation as I would love. I would love to talk to you for an hour, <laughs> but I know you. You know, I know you have um, other things that you need to do. And uh, tell the listeners the website, please.
2: Yeah, you can go to um dot com um, or at tapestryopera on social media platforms. Uh, and the show runs until next sunday so for the next week and a half
0: okay and um is there an age restriction at all
2: i would say it's kind of like pg-13 okay so you know a very mature 10 year old would get it but there's some there's some serious uh parental child relationship things that are um would need to be contextualized by an accompanying adult i would say
0: yeah especially the um you know the the son desperate for the mother's love and her just ignoring him. That's got to hurt the heart. Um, it does, yeah. Yeah. So Michael, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about Rocking Horse Winner.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Donna.
0: And that was my interview with Michael Hidetoshi Mori about tapestry operas, Rocking Horse Winner. And in my interview with Michael, you probably heard me say the rocking horse winner it's rocking horse winner and also we made some references a couple of references to wine rest assured if you go to crow's theater where the play is where the opera um, is being performed they have a variety of beverages for you to to purchase and enjoy and also as soon as the interview ended both Michael and I um, remembered the puppeteer who we were trying to who we were both stumped trying to remember it's of course Ronnie Burkett and I know some of you listening must have been yelling it's Ronnie Burkett it's Ronnie Burkett Um, our apologies Ronnie uh, for both uh, stumping on your name so again you can go to tapestryopera.com to find out more about. About Rocking Horse Winner. You can also visit Theater.com as well for more information. And the play runs until November the 12th. You're listening to The More The Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM. I was actually going to do a review of Rocking Horse Winner um, after having seen the show now. But I um, I've decided that with one hour, I don't want to give away too much, except to say that the staging, the acting, and the musicians are all top-notch, as is the the writing. And I want to play a piece of music from the original. It does feature... Um, Two of the original cast members from the 2016 production, but you might hear a chorus, and um, some of the chorus members who play the house um, are new. So you will be hearing Asitha and Lucia uh, primarily because the track is called Ava and Paul Talk About Luck. But you'll hear a chorus in the, in the back, and that is the house speaking. Um, in its avarice. The music is written by Gareth Williams and Anna Chatterton is the librettist.
3: has a car Why don't we have a car
4: Because we're poor
3: Mother Why are we so poor Uncle Oscar isn't poor Even Bassett isn't poor Why are we so poor?
4: Because your father had no luck.
3: Why did father have no luck? Is luck money?
4: What is luck?
1: C.I.U.T. 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. Stream us anytime at www.ciut.fm.
0: Cue Round the Tree is one of my favorite uh, pieces from the Nathaniel Dett Chorale. Uh, The CD's called Listen to the Lambs. It's directed by Brainerd Blyden-Taylor and focuses on the music of composer R. Nathaniel Dett, who was quite well known um, in the Niagara region. He graduated from the Niagara Falls Collegiate Institute in 1901 and spent time in the U.S. as well as in Canada. So do look up this very important person, Nathaniel Dett, D-E-T-T, as well as the Nathaniel Dett Corral. I'm going to play another piece by them, and this is called The Chariot Jubilee, and it's going to start out, and you're not quite sure what you're listening to, and then it will move into the familiar. So here now is another piece by the Nathaniel Det Chorale, The Chariot Jubilee.
3: Sure. i oh.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to The More the Merrier with Donna G. My contact info can be found at www.ciut.fm. Click on the more the merrier and you can get in touch with me. And by the way, CIUT's fundraiser is coming up, so keep me in mind. And you can make an advanced donation on the CIUT website. Or maybe you want to get in touch with me on the 19th when I do my show live from 1 to 2 p.m. in the CIUT studios. Every bit contributes to the overall running of the station. Thank you so much for listening. And again, sorry I couldn't get to the jazz, but I did promise you Denise Williams. And here she is with Honor Honor. Have a good week.
4: See the little children when they truly baptize. Honor, honor unto the dying lamb. King Jesus lit a candle by the water side to see the little children when they truly baptize. Honor, honor unto the dying lamb. So come upon children and be baptized.